Hello, and welcome to another episode of My Dog Will Eat My Face. In this podcast, I wanted to discuss the second part of what it is like to be meeting your end, so to speak, with uh, congestive heart failure. And much more specifically, I intend to touch upon not so much just the physical aspects as I did in the first podcast on this topic, but I wanted to touch upon the ooey gooey stuff, so to speak, in this part two. And that, of course, means the emotional stuff. So I'm going to try to touch on that. Of course, the physical and the emotional are, for the most part, inseparable in many cases. If you listen to part one of this, you'll notice that I definitely struggled to shimmy in there a difference between the two at certain times because they are so intertwined and mutually causing each other to inflate and their impact on my life. But we'll see if I can (laughs) focus purely on the emotional stuff at least as much as possible in this podcast and we shall see how that goes so sit tight sit back and join me on this quest as I explore the emotional aspects of essentially dying of late-stage congestive heart failure. Well, if I'm to discuss the emotional impact of this process. One of the first things that comes up for me is the isolation. I know I alluded to this before in the last podcast and probably in many other podcasts before, but here I'll just focus on that for a small bit. Because I'm so dependent upon supplemental oxygen, I am pretty much tied to an oxygen concentrator at home. And I can't really leave the apartment for very long. I could take it an oxygen tank with me, one tank. 
and have one hand free to do whatever it is I want to do. But, of course, that will not last for very long, actually. So, for the most part, I deal with being isolated and rather secluded at home. And this is a big change for me since how I used to live my life. I would go to the office. I would go oftentimes out with friends to nice restaurants. As I've said before, I was a bit of a foodie. I think I still am. And truly, it, it's, it's become a very debilitating thing. Uh, it's, a, it's a very debilitating dependence, <laughs> putting it more intelligently, uh, that dependence being on the supplemental oxygen that is needed 24-7. And even if I do leave with a tank, it will only last for so long before it's in the red and certainly will not get up to any meaningful length, such as an hour or so. So it, it is quite difficult to do anything and go out and do anything more specifically. And that isolation is, in its own way, very uh, emotionally uh, defeating. You, you feel much more alone than you normally do. And you even develop a, a strange, uh, almost agoraphobia because it's been so long, at least it has for me, since I've last left the house doing the things I really enjoy, that now even going out sounds kind of scary to me. And so it's turned something that I once really enjoyed into a, a phobia. And that's just one of the side effects, I think, of what isolation does to you. Now also keep in mind, too, of all the travel I've done in my life. Just before this uh, disease really was uh, advanced enough to be on disability. Um, I was flying all over the country uh, about every other week. I had to travel to some town. Sometimes I'd have to fly from one end of the country to the next and back 
and then to another part on the other side of the country and back with only one day in between <laughs> to be home. And uh, that, that was happening. That was my normal schedule right before everything kind of went south. So I would say absolutely that the isolation caused by this dependence upon supplemental oxygen is in itself one of the far most debilitating emotional downsides of this experience. It's not only taken away the opportunity to do things that I loved, it's introduced new phobias that were never there once before. And further, with respect to the emotional impact of CHF, I've got to say that the thing I miss the most of all the things and abilities I've lost due to this disease and this condition actually is working. I truly gained a lot of happiness in my career. I thoroughly enjoyed most of the people I've worked with my entire life. Of course, there were some bad apples, but it was relatively easy to get along with the large bulk of people. And so it was, it was not just a job, it was a, it was a huge social outlet for me as well. And I was working in a career that I actually truly loved. It, it, to me, it wasn't just a job. It was a meaningful career and a rewarding career. that brought me a vast amount of social interaction and more so even beyond that helped give me a sense of identity a way of thinking of myself and who I am. And this is a common problem, especially with men and careers, so I've read, 
they, they tend to define themselves, their person, a lot based on what they do for work. And I was no exception. <laughs> so not having that anymore, not working is absolutely destructive for me. It not only socially isolates me, but it tears away the fabric of how I would even self-identify, of how I saw myself amongst whomever, the general population. When your career of 20 years is suddenly plucked from you because of medical issues, it is absolutely devastating. And I've had terrific struggles trying to re-identify myself. And I just have not found an easy way to do that. And actually what I should say, I've not successfully done that at all. Despite multiple efforts, I've not been able to overcome that need for self-actualization and respecting myself. And that alone, losing your identity is a huge psychological, emotional burden to bear. And I've, I've read many times that that is a common problem with men <laughs> in good careers. And in that same sort of literature, I might come across suggestions on how to avoid it. I mean, I've heard all the all the scripted uh, uh, attempts to relieve that sort of loss to where you never are what you do as your job. You're so much more than that, blah, blah, blah. And, and I'm familiar with all those things that folks have written to better engineer your self-identity to be m much more than just what you do in your career. But I have not succeeded in any sense achieving that for some reason. If anyone else listening to this knows of a good way to do that or, or know of, of something that worked 
for them. Please reach out to me somehow and uh, let me know what you can suggest. <laughs> and so because of that, the loss of work has by far been the most detrimental experience of coming upon the final stage of heart failure. It's not just a social loss, which it is, an enormous social loss, but it's even a loss of self-identity. And I should say it's it's still something that might be in flux. I mean, I, I still try techniques to re-engineer my self-identity so it's not just tied to work. I just haven't succeeded at any of it. <laughs> but hopefully in time, with the right technique, I can go far enough to do that. So I'm not throwing in the towel. And in fact, the closest I've come is knowing deep down that my virtues, my personality, and other elements of, of who I am as a person that were all fundamental to even getting that long-standing career are truly the things that identify me. They just extended to forming a successful career and that was just something I could easily point to. But those attributes, those qualities that led me down that path in the first place are absolutely unmoved. So I've actually gone far enough to say that. But it's still feels like it's not enough to identify me as a person. It still seems lackluster. 
I actually think it's true, believing that. But for some reason, I also think it's not quite enough for me. And perhaps, as I already alluded to, the career and the job history was just a consequence of those personality traits that are really me. And those personality traits are still there. And the career that was a consequence of it was just an easy thing to observe for anyone. Maybe now it's not as easy, but I need to stop and take some retrospection and see how those attributes have truly not changed. And my fundamental self has indeed not changed despite not being able to work. But it's hard. I feel like I'm kind of grasping at straws. <laughs> Whereas when I had a 20 year career, it was easy. I could point and say, oh, look over here. I've got this to prove it. Done. End of story. I felt good about what I was doing, and that was it. Maybe, perhaps now, it just takes a significant effort and another way of thinking that I've yet to encounter or embrace. But, yes, not working has been one of the most severe emotional losses that I've experienced because of this illness. being said, there are certainly things that I'm still absolutely grateful for. One is that very thing I already mentioned, that the key elements of who I am as a person have not changed. If anything, they've probably improved as I've traveled this course. And truth being told, there have been many things that I am grateful for. 
and experiences that have brought me a lot of joy during this time of of my descent, for lack of a better word. It definitely introduced other experiences to me that I, frankly, would not trade for anything else. For example, my new dog. I'm so glad I adopted him and feel like He's something I can't live without now. And there's been many other moments of joy, of happiness, of laughter that have occurred. And I'm grateful for those things. So, at the very least, I know that despite the emotional losses that I've experienced, I have had some good experiences in this time period that may have otherwise not occurred. So, that's one thing I can say at least. <laughs> it's good I didn't just give up on day one because I would have missed so much that I absolutely would be happy for and am happy for. So, by no means is this emotional list purely negative, I guess it is, <laughs> but I'm trying to say that there's been also events and things that have brought me joy and happiness. I've laughed, I've felt happy, I've been feeling good many times through this descent, and I would not have had those if I gave up on life much sooner. And that's definitely something to fight for, I think.
Because no matter what, what does take my life, however I might die, I'll miss something that might have happened beyond that date that would have been very enjoyable, would have been fun, would have been joyful or fascinating. I love to learn. That's not changed. So I'm not really keen on just throwing in the towel for genuine fear that I'd probably miss too much for what it's worth. And I don't want to do that. So, I guess I can say, say at least I'm there, despite the emotional negative impact this experience has had on my life. I strongly feel I'm not done yet. So, with all that said, I'm actually going to cut this week's podcast at this point. You can probably hear my voice is very raspy and struggling (laughs) to not sound like I'm a 40-year smoker (laughs) or something. Uh, I've, I don't know what it is. Every morning I wake up and every day sometimes I have a real hard time with my voice, with losing my voice and it turning raspy and whatever on me. So it's just a little too difficult for me to keep talking, unfortunately. (laughs) So I'll have to wrap things up there. But I do think I uncovered the most important points. And if you wish to support the podcast, do be sure to select follow to follow it and click on the bell to alert you to new podcasts as they become available. You can also support the podcast on its homepage on uh, Spotify and also at patreon.com slash my dog will eat my face. 
But I say it every time and I'll say it again. You've already given me the most important thing, which is lending me your ears and allowing me to express to you my thoughts and giving them a listen. And for that, I deeply thank you. But I must say for now, a fit of sex.